Chapter 1. Adopt the Right Mindset. This first chapter is arguably the most important. And it's one that needs to be up front and center at the beginning of this process. At various stages in my life, I have been tempted to bemoan my bad luck, bad timing or the bad economy for my situation not being as good as I hoped it would be at this stage in my life. I think that is probably true for everybody. However, seeking to apportion blame or allocate what might be your own poor decision-making to external influences is not going to be conducive to getting where you want to be as quick as you want to get there. That is not to say, of course, that you are completely immune to external effects. We all are and have been. Those before and those after us have and will be to similar extents as well. Rather, the point is to adopt a positive outlook. To recognize that, unless you switch your mindset from one that portrays itself as subject and victim to one of opportunist and an actor with agency, you will be unlikely to instigate the changes that will facilitate your desired changes. Don't moan, don't complain, just work, source, just about any Floyd Mayweather training video. I've been a boxing fan as long as I can remember, in recent years, nobody has owned the boxing world like the American maestro Floyd Mayweather Jr. from his flash, brash, and often distasteful, antics prior to his bouts, to his slick skills in the ring, Mayweather has been at the top of his game for 20 years. As the social media age has blossomed, so too did his career, dovetailing in perfect unison. A crafted personality and image, ready-made for the Instagram, era. But behind the posturing, the antics and the made-for-TV bravado, Mayweather has long had a reputation in the industry for being a gym rat, a fighter always in the gym, training. Whilst his antics and posturing may be questionable, nobody has ever questioned his work ethic. In his glossy, behind-closed-doors promotional training videos he can often be heard uttering his familiar refrains hard work, dedication, don't moan don't complain, just work. And that sentiment is what really hits at the heart of this chapter. Of course, it's easy to motivate oneself to get up and go for a run in the early hours of the morning, or the endure grueling workouts in the gym when you know that or have an 8 or even 9-figure paycheck waiting for you, but the real test is to keep that mindset while on the way up. Personally, I find that this mindset or this mantra of Mayweather's has served me well. It served me well working in retail, handling lots of stock. I remember sitting on top of a pallet feeling sorry for myself for being so tired and having a stiff back, feeling as though the world had conspired against me. But when I asked myself why did I feel tired, was it because I'd been unfairly allocated tasks at work, that others had deliberately sought to get one over on me by giving me shoddy jobs? Or was it because I had stayed up late the night before? It may sound obvious, but if the particular grievance is of your own making then you really don't have any cause for complaint. Besides, on the plus side, I'd much rather be hungover at work than waste a perfectly good weekend feeling terrible. In addition to this basic point, it's also true that you don't want to be that person who is known for constantly complaining. I'm sure we all know that person who, no matter what happens or what goes on, always thinks they have got it worse than somebody else. They always make out that they're more hard done by or worse remunerated, busier, and just generally have a life that much tougher than everybody else and have to work that much harder for the same reward. In 2022, social media is driving an information age that seems governed by a new vocabulary. To be honest I don't understand half of it. I don't intend nor want to get involved in the types of divisive and discussions current to today's world with people seemingly out to castigate anybody for the merest of transgressions either intentional or otherwise. However, one of the new terms in the lexicon that did strike my attention was the oppression Olympics. In basic terms, it seems to be where people compete to see who is most worse off, or who has the most difficult life. As previously mentioned, this is not going to be the most conducive way for forwarding your best path forward. Most obvious is the fact that you have no idea what difficulties other people are facing. Looking in from the outside, 
It might seem that they have an easier life than you might have but you never know the personal pressures and challenges that they are facing. There could be pressures of relationships, finance, or personal illness. In fact, the way to think of this is to think of exactly all the things that you struggle with in your own life. Obsessing over the idea that you are worse off than somebody else indicates the flaw in your mindset. Think about the most difficult or challenging thing in your life is right now whether personal, professional, financial, or medical. It's immediately apparent that somebody else could be suffering from the exact same set of circumstances as you. Indeed, there is an old adage about not thinking that you're the smartest person in the room and not thinking you're the dumbest. The same mindset can be applied here, too. Yes, you might have some challenges in your life but in any room in a group of people you probably don't have it worse and you probably don't have it easiest either. Don't assume you know what's going on in other people's lives. Unless they open up and share with you their intimate secrets, the truth is you really don't have any idea. The main reason why you should avoid championing your own complaints is the danger it poses to your reputation. You certainly don't want to be known as that person who always complains, that person who always thinks they have it worse than everybody else. Having a reputation as a complainer is likely to have more subtle than overt implications but you can often see it in other people's reactions when they're the usual suspect is regaling others with tales of their own misfortune once again. People in the room begin rolling their eyes, exchanging quick glances with others as if to say here we go again. So and so is off on his regular moan. Finally, another reason why I recommend that you should avoid this type of mindset is simply because it is not conducive to positive thoughts, constantly focusing on the negative aspects of your situation. Of course, there might be some genuinely tough situations in which it is hard to maintain upbeat positivity. Nor is not to say that you have to force yourself to be upbeat in all situations and assume a false facade of cheerfulness. Indeed, people will likely see through that quite easily. Personally, I'm always suspicious of people who are always cheerful and in good mood because I simply don't think it's natural that somebody can be happy all the time. However, in general, with regard to things in which you have a degree of control and input it is important that you are looking ahead with a positive can-do attitude rather attitude rather than focusing on where you are in present, and where you have been, with a bleak and pessimistic perspective. It is also important to remember that you're not seeking to beat other people. This is not a competition with your colleague, your workmate, your sibling your friends, etc. This is about you trying to be the best you can be. The only competition that is important is with yourself and in particular with your bad habits. Personally, I've always been a master of procrastination. Why do something today if I can put it off until tomorrow? Never do something now when you can put it off till later. I can always play one more game of FIFA, one more game of chess, read that next chapter in my book and watch the next episode of that awesome new drama on Netflix. Invariably what happens is you when it gets to the end of the evening, I finally sit down to do my work on my study and I'm so exhausted I can't concentrate. Then I'd blame no time as the culprit. Or at least that was how I approached things up until four years ago. Adopting a new attitude is like anything else that involves the formation of new habits. Charles Duhigg in The Power of Habit makes an excellent case for how you can break this bad habit loop and instill new habits that are much more productive and conducive to achieving your goals. It starts with the basics. Making sure to say please and thank you, making sure to put others before yourself, opening closing doors or whatever it could be in your life that paid for and seeking to help other people and be courteous. Ultimately, to large extent this comes down to the question of motivation. If something is sufficiently motivating, then you can make yourself do work that you would otherwise find boring and repetitive. Remember that is not the work itself which you are striving for but the end result. By keeping yourself laser-focused on the outcomes, on the who and how your actions are going to benefit, this will help maintain your motivation whilst working throughout and towards what are you hope to accomplish. 
What is the purpose of what you're doing? What is the intended outcome? Who does it benefit? Is it for you? Or is it for somebody else? In my current role of line manager, I am responsible for administering mid-year and end-of-year performance report and for conducting lesson observations. The observations themselves are a great learning opportunity for me and I hope the feedback I can give to the teachers is equally beneficial. This is most definitely the most enjoyable part of the role. On the other hand, the writing up of observation reports, end-of-year appraisals and goal setting is always extremely tedious. There is quite a rigidly defined structure to which these things must adhere meaning that it can begin to feel very repetitive. Again, however, the change of mindset here is useful. If I think of it in terms of me writing the same thing again and again and again, over and over again then it does indeed start to feel extremely tedious. I do start to watch the clock and I start to wonder when will it ever end? However, if I take a different perspective then I find that I am able to motivate myself quite easily. If I position myself in the process, on the receiving end of the report then I can see how important this might be for the individual teachers to reflect on her later date. Every so often I will look back at what I've done in previous years so I can better plan my future development activity and assess my progress. I rely on the comments of my line managers and observation reports to give insights into my developmental needs at different time. Again, if I change my mindset and extrapolate myself from the here and now and put myself in the position of the teacher in a year or two's time who might wish to look back and check on their own development it becomes easier to motivate myself to go to extra mile, to write those extra few sentences to try and clarify a little bit more what I want to say. So, rather than focusing solely on the impact of the specific task on your time and your workload think about how it's going to affect other people who also depend on it. It sounds like a cliche, but you really can affect a different mindset with a few simple habits. When I worked in retail, my manager advised me to never tell the customer that something wasn't possible. That's not to say of course that you should automatically assure anybody and everybody that you will be able to do everything that they wish of you, or able to fulfill every demand. Rather, that instead of automatically rejecting out of hand something that you are not sure about or that may be difficult, tell the customer that you will look into it and get back to them. Maybe take a phone number or email address so you can do so at a time convenient for them also. This gives valuable time to investigate the matter further or ask her more experienced colleague and to put together some alternative options just in case it doesn't happen that you're unable to fulfill the customer's order. If, indeed, it does turn out that you are not able to fulfill the request, you can at least then offer them some advice on how they might be able to sort their issue. The great thing about this is it presents a problem-solving challenge which will help develop your sub-skills. For example, I would be frequently tasked with sourcing items in large quantities. In a small store it would be unlikely that we had sufficient quantities of said item at in-store at any one time. However, I will be able to perform an inventory search of the stores in the area to see if I can get the stock in piecemeal fashion. I will then have to negotiate the other stores what they wanted in exchange for their holdings of this product therefore familiarizing myself with the staff and other stores as well as being a position to help them fulfill their own orders. Of course, on the on occasion there were times I wasn't able to provide the customer with what they wanted however I was continually amazed at how much we were able to do simply because we've never actually considered doing it before. It's very easy when you've been on the job the one to get into a routine and breaking that can be difficult. When you're in your comfort zone it's easier to say no. The next time someone makes an odd request don't dismiss it out of hand straight away. I often try to avoid give me a definitive yes or no answer immediately to any request sent my way as even if I know it's possible. I may wish to have an extra bit of time to see if I can get what is needed done to a higher standard than that should be requested of me. Finally, it's important to remember that oftentimes the work we find ourselves puts us in conflict or at points of contention with other people. Try to avoid taking this personally. As mentioned previously, 
we all have different pressures impacting upon us at any given time and it's easy to conflate artificial pressures generated by deadlines, work duties etc. with real conflict between people. For example, after a heated meeting, rigorously sharing ideas, you may find yourself feeling some degree of animosity towards those with whom you disagree. Try to compartmentalize what happens in one setting with what happens outside. I have witnessed countless occasions during our regular meetings at work where people who have legitimate differences of opinion exchange ideas and when people disagree with each tension arises in the room. Again, it's important to take a step back. Recognize that everybody wants the same thing. Everybody is working towards the best possible outcome. Everybody wants to keep workloads as manageable as possible. If you are confident that these two things are true, then there is no need to let any disagreement from the meeting carry over outside. A recent memory stands out in my mind. After having had a series of meetings featuring some rather robust exchange of ideas, in particular lots of disagreement about how certain courses should be structured, there was a palpable sense of tension in the air with cliques of staff forming over who agreed or disagreed with various decisions that had been made. At the end of the term, it was time to go home and I headed to the lift as usual from my third floor office. As I left my office and walked past the offices of some colleagues with who I'd been vigorously disagreeing with a few hours earlier. I briefly thought about knocking on their doors just to say hi and have a nice vacation before quickly deciding nah and I can't be bothered. I continued to the lift at the end of the corridor. I could tell by the display that I had just missed the lift and I'd have to wait for it to go all the way to the bottom before ascending back to my floor. I looked again at the offices of my colleagues I had just walked past 10 seconds previously. I thought what the hell, I've got a few seconds of to kill why not just say hi. I went back and knocked on the first door. I heard him telling me to enter. I poked my heads around the door as he greeted me. He looked slightly pensive. It was Friday afternoon I think he thought that I was going to bring him some kind of news or problem that would delay the start of his weekend. I said to him just wanted to say hi and wish him a nice vacation. I'll never forget the look on his face. He seemed so surprised that I'd just come to say, see you and have a nice vacation. I instantly felt guilty for having walked past his office earlier. I knew the reason I had done so was because I was still harboring a slight bit of resentment, annoyance, or some of the other discontentment from a previous meeting. At human level, I had never had any problems troubled with this individual and they've always been very kind, courteous and respectful to me. I realized that I had been letting differences over how we approached classroom pedagogy interfere and obstruct a friendly personal relationship for what I could now perceive as being up to no good reason whatsoever. We both want the same thing, we have different views on how they should be achieved. So what? When you're deeply invested in projects and spending lots of time working on them and other people seemingly shoot down your ideas it is easy to take it personally. The trick is to remember the context of the working environment and not to take things personally. Rather than focusing on the implications for you in terms of time invested in a project try thinking about fostering healthy relationships with other individuals. Dash. Getting started. Grab a pen and paper or open up your notes app on your device. Write down whatever single task that you find most irritating or frustrating thing about your job. For example, it could be an end-of-the-month financial report or stock take. If you are a teacher, it might be marking the end-of-term assignments, a multitude of poorly written essays that to mark. Mark this task at the top of the paper and then split the rest of the page into three columns. In the left-hand column, make a list of what you don't like about the job and how you how you feel when you do it. In the central column, make a list of all the people who benefit from you completing this task. For example, if you have a class of students whose essays you must mark, write down all the names old individuals who will receive feedback from your efforts. Or maybe it is a colleague whose own workload is slightly reduced due to your efforts. In the final column, 
Make a note of some ideas of how you could optimize this process to make it more efficient or valuable and link it to specific people in the middle column. For example, it could be the HR lady who benefits from you getting in your expense report a day ahead of schedule rather than minutes before the deadline. Now at the same time, you can see different sides of the same equation. You can see what annoys you about the job, but you also have some suggestions for how to improve processes as well as a list of people who benefit from your efforts. If these improvements are things that can be done by yourself, for example making you sure to get the expense form filed a day earlier than usual then try to implement this straight away. If your suggestion or improvement is not something you can immediately implement yourself, offer feedback up the food chain to whomever is responsible. Dash.